Only 4% of universities in the U.S. are R1 research institutions, and Temple University is one of them. This means 100% of students have the opportunity to participate in hands-on learning and research with world-class faculty. With over 600 academic programs across 17 schools and colleges, Philadelphia's largest public university provides students with a rich variety of opportunities and propels graduates to succeed in their careers. Temple University. Schedule a campus tour today at admissions.temple.edu. What if you could have a career where the opportunities are as vast as our nation, where it's not about mission statements, but a shared mission? At U.S. Customs and Border Protection, we go beyond to protect more than borders. From ship to shore, air to ground, cities to local communities, CBP agents and officers are keeping people safe. Join U.S. Customs and Border Protection and go beyond for something far greater than yourself. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. You're hanging out with some friends and putting back a few drinks. A few becomes a few too many. As the evening comes to an end and people start to head out, you think of calling for a ride. Nah, you live nearby. You can make it home, okay? It's no big deal. What are the odds you'll get pulled over anyway? And even so, what's the worst that could happen? Your insurance goes up? You lose your license? You lose your job? You total your car? You kill someone? Everyone knows about the risks of driving drunk. The results are tragic and often deadly. However, that still doesn't stop everyone from getting behind the wheel while under the influence. That's why police officers are out there right now looking for impaired drivers on our roads to save lives. So, if you think you're okay to drive after a few drinks, think again. Play it safe and plan ahead to get a ride. It only takes one mistake to change your life or someone else's forever. Drive sober or get pulled over. Okay, so, presents. Check. Decorations. Uh, check. Christmas clothes. Yep, check. The turkey. You forgot the turkey. Dunn Stores has extended opening hours over the Christmas season, so you'll have plenty of time to get all those little jobs done. Opening times may vary. Check your Dunn Stores app or dunnstores.com for more info. Dunn Stores. Make Christmas for everyone. Monsters is a podcast about the worst human beings on the planet. Listener discretion is advised. Claudia Herrig couldn't make her marriage work, and once she realized that her husband Carl was definitely leaving her, she made a plan to get her revenge and ensure she would never be brought to justice. This is Monsters. Carl Herrig was an all-American man from early on. He was an active Boy Scout as a child, and at 18 years old, he enlisted in the United States Army. He was a sergeant in the military police and eventually became a chief warrant officer. After getting his bachelor's degree in civil engineering, he became a helicopter pilot for the Army National Guard flying a UH-1, before switching to the Air National Guard flying C-130 transport aircraft. After leaving active duty service, he became a chief pilot and aircraft commander in the Air Force Reserve's 910th Airlift Wing as a major. He was married to a woman named Rhonda Sharp, and the couple had two children together. Eva was born in 1987, and Brent was born the following year. Eva described having fond memories of spending time with her father when he was home between deployments. While he was deployed to Iraq, he spent as much time as he could on the phone with his family. 
The couple eventually divorced around 1998, which was a choice that Rhonda said she would eventually regret, but by the time she realized that, it was already too late. Carl was a good-looking guy with a great personality and a successful career. He had no problem attracting dates and eventually met a woman named Carla del Castillo. Carl's brother, Paul Herrig, said that his brother fell hard for Carla. The problem was that Carla wanted to have children, and Carl wasn't sure if he wanted to have more, so the relationship didn't work out. Longing to replace the one that got away, when Carl met a woman who looked a lot like Carla, he felt like he didn't want to make another mistake and moved forward with the relationship quickly. Claudia Sobral was an accountant from Brazil. In 1989, she was visiting New York when she met a medical resident and got married. She remained in the United States and became a naturalized citizen in 1999. Shortly after, in 2000, she divorced her husband and began working as an accountant. Like many people at the beginning of the new millennium, Carl and Claudia had been active on dating websites. When the two connected on Match.com, they spent a couple of weeks getting to know each other via online communications. During her testimony at trial, Claudia described meeting Carl. So let's jump back to April 2005. Um, you met Carl on Match.com, right? Right. And after you guys exchanged a few uh, emails, um, he flew into New York? Um, yeah, we exchanged a few emails for like a week. And he said, um, look, I can fly anywhere I want because I have this flying privileges. Uh, you can just tell me what time you want to be, day and time you want me to be uh, in New York, and I'll be there. Um, but I was working, so I think I told him that he could come on a Friday. He did show up on a Friday, just the way he said. Okay. And he said, you can give me less than a notice. I'll prove to you I can be there. He did. He did that, okay. just like he said. Okay. So he flew in Friday just like he said? Yeah, he impressed me because, you know, he was lying. He said he could do it, and he did it. I gave, I, I kind of gave him a test. I said, I'm going to tell him in the last minute. I don't know if I told him that or not. Claudia testified that Carl offered to fly to New York at any time to spend time with her. So she put him to the test and gave him a date and time and was surprised that he showed up. Carl had somehow believed that Claudia was going to be just like Carla and was dead set on having a relationship with her. Chris Swiegen, a friend of Carl's, said in an interview with 48 Hours that Carl had told him, quote, I lost the last one. I got to make sure I don't lose this one as well, end quote. And after he came and visited New York, um, you continued talking on email and the phone? Yes, we, from that point on, actually proposed to me that same night uh, and then we basically we, we we agreed to get married that same same very night. Okay, so so let's walk back for a second. So he's in the weekend, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, and he proposed to you. He proposed to me that very Friday. Okay. Um, and what did you think when he proposed to you? I thought it was great, I mean, I was very happy to hear that, but I said, oh yeah, my intentions are to marry you because, because uh, you know, I like you, but we need to know each other better and you need to move to New York. 
Carl proposed to Claudia the first time they met in person. Claudia said she accepted the proposal, but wanted to get to know him a little more before taking the leap, so they continued a long-distance relationship with occasional trips to visit each other. In May of 2005, on Claudia's second trip to Ohio, Carl took her to Putin Bay and surprised her with an engagement party where all of his friends were in attendance. Claudia testified that she was confused about what the party was about. Well, I didn't know that there was a party, but it was. Uh, uh, everybody came to me to say, uh, congratulations, congratulations. And I was embarrassed. I thought I was missing something on the English language. I said, what is that that I'm, I am missing? Because I don't know what they are congratulating me for. And I was just, thank you, thank you, trying to give it enough time for me to pick up and understand what they were congratulating me for. And they were congratulating me for my engagement. That was my engagement party that I had no idea. Did, I didn't know anything about it. Okay. Uh, did, he, did he give you a ring at that time? No. Claudia returned to New York, and the couple planned on an August wedding, but those plans quickly changed. At this time, you said you guys were talking about getting married in August. Yes. Um, and those plans changed. Why those plans changed? Because he felt that uh, me being in New York might, and all those uh, pictures that I had on Match.com, and I hadn't yet taken them down, he was afraid that somebody else was going to propose to me and... And, um, and, and he was going to lose me. So he said, we better close those 500-mile uh, gap uh, because uh, you may change your mind about marrying me. So um, he was anxious to get married, very anxious. Okay. And so did you guys move the wedding date up? Yeah, then all of a sudden he said, um, uh, let's forget about this whole thing about marriage, uh, wedding reception. Let's just go to Las Vegas. Okay, and you guys went to Las Vegas? And then he said, he said we can have our, our wedding reception uh, after we get married. Let's hurry up and get married okay. before you meet somebody else. Okay. And so you guys ended up getting married on June 30th, 2005. Yeah, that was only 50 days after we met the, the first time, yes, okay. June 30th, 2005. And that was the fifth time you'd actually met in person? Yes. Okay, so he'd been to New York twice, you'd been to Ohio twice, and you're getting married. Yeah. Carl's paranoia over the chance that another perfect woman might get away took over. Claudia testified that he was worried that another man from the internet might propose and he might lose her. The sad thing is, if someone isn't committed to you enough to not accept someone else's proposal, they aren't committed to you enough to marry. If your relationship is at a point where your boyfriend or girlfriend may dump you at the next offer of marriage, you probably aren't ready to get married. Unfortunately, Carl seemed to be obsessed with finding a woman and settling down, and the obsession just took over. He convinced Claudia into a sudden Vegas wedding. This whole thing was a clusterfuck. When they got to Las Vegas, Claudia claimed that they both changed their minds and were going to go back home, but couldn't get an earlier flight. So they figured they'd just stay in Vegas and have a good time. It's Las Vegas, after all. The next day, Carl had changed his mind again and wanted to get married, and Claudia said that she just did whatever Carl wanted. 
which is probably fine if you're deciding on a movie to watch or a restaurant to eat at, but not whether or not to get married. Surprise, surprise, Claudia said that the next day they had changed their minds once again and decided to get an annulment when they got home. Except, when they got back to Ohio, Claudia packed her stuff and went back to New York. According to Claudia, she had lied to her boss about why she wasn't at work when she was in Las Vegas getting married, and when her boss found out, she was fired. Not having anywhere else to go, she decided to return to Ohio and try to make the marriage work. Claudia paints a picture that Carl basically forced her into moving to Ohio and staying married to him. She said that she intended to stay in New York, but that Carl had given her an ultimatum to tell her boss the truth or that he would. She claimed that once she was in Ohio, he made her pay for everything besides the mortgage and the electricity bill. He told her what she was allowed to wear at all times. It was this emotional abuse that led her to want to kill herself. This is all according to Claudia. Of course, Carl's family said that he was never abusive. She got along all right with the other men in Carl's life, but didn't talk to the women. They said that she spent most of the time while Carl was away for work shopping. She quickly filled the basement with expensive clothes and even bought racks to put in the basement to keep the clothes on. Claudia makes it seem like she was forced to do everything around the house. A lot of the mains I have to keep the house perfect. He once got home and there was one glass, one glass, one single glass, uh, dirty uh, glass in the sink. He said, come here. She sat me on the couch like a little girl and said, you know, if you clean the house 99 times and you don't clean it once, to me it's like you never clean the house 100 times. So he made me understand that he wanted a perfectly clean house in a glass, uh, in the sink, him coming home from trip. He didn't expect to see that, so he was very demanding on me. Paul Herrig described a time when Claudia called the family for an emergency meeting in 2007 to make grievances about her marriage. Paul explained that one of her complaints was that Carl wanted her to help out with the cooking and house cleaning. Everybody in the family was like, well, yeah, that's what you're supposed to do. They all said her behavior was very odd. Again, the subject of having more children came up as Claudia learned that she was pregnant the first time. I'm not going to have an abortion. I didn't blame this. I didn't want to. Didn't think I could get pregnant. But um, I didn't think about motherhood. I, I didn't crave it because I never felt it. But once I had that thing inside of me, I wanted it. I didn't want to have the abortion, no. Did this cause a lot of stress between you and Carl? Yeah, very, very, very much, very much so. And what happened? Um, what happened? Well, the, when he realized that I'm really not going to have the abortion, he, he started uh, torturing me psychologically, physically, uh, finding ways to uh, stress me out so I would have a natural abortion, what do you call it, a miscarriage. She says that he began torturing her psychologically and physically, and that's why she ended up having a miscarriage. But as a woman who was 40 to 41 years old, the chances of having a miscarriage were already high. Virginia Physicians for Women says that after the age of 35, the chance of miscarriage is four to eight times higher than that of younger women. That number only increases as a woman gets older. 
Claudia got pregnant again in February of 2006, and again she claimed that Carl intentionally caused her stress in order to cause a miscarriage. At the end of 2006, Claudia alleges that she attempted to commit suicide. Late 2006, early 2007, you tried suicide for the first time? Uh, yes. Okay. And how did you try to commit suicide? With a gun. Okay. And that was the gun that was in the house? Yes, Carl's gun. And Carl kept a number of guns in the house? Many guns. And earlier in your marriage, you'd expressed to Carl that you had concerns about living in the country and your safety? Yes, because being from, you know, coming from a big city, you always worry about people breaking into your house. And he said, uh, I don't have keys to the house. I said, how could you not have keys to the house? Lock the doors. He said, no, but in this house, we don't lock doors. So that, that freaked me out. Okay, well, we're going back to that. At that point in time, did he take you out and teach you how to shoot a gun? Yes. And was there a pistol in the house that you knew about? Yes. And was that the gun you tried to commit suicide with? Yes. Um, when you tried to commit suicide, what stopped you? Uh, I, I didn't have the courage to, so you I, was af I was afraid of um, not dying, just, uh, what do you call it, getting wounded and not dying, so I didn't have the courage. Now, this is a sensitive subject, and I don't want to dismiss a person's mental illness, but when someone says they attempted suicide, I assume they took a bunch of pills but survived, or they shot themselves and still lived, even if they tried to shoot themselves but the gun didn't work. What Claudia describes sounds more like having suicidal thoughts, but not an actual suicide attempt. I've suffered from depression since I was a teenager, and I've had many suicidal thoughts when I was younger, but I've never attempted suicide. I feel like an action that could potentially cause your own death needs to be taken to consider it an attempted suicide. Her description of her attempted suicide was that she thought about using a gun to kill herself, but then had second thoughts and didn't. She describes another suicide attempt in February of 2007. Say it again. What February 7th of 2007? Oh, yes. And on that day, you took um, all the sleeping medication you had? Yeah, the sleeping pills about almost 30. And you were at your house, right? In the Falls, yes. And you told um, Carl that you did this? I told Carl, look, Carl, I did this. I just want you to know that I took those pills. Um, and I probably will die, but I don't want to die in this house because I don't want you to be responsible for my death. death. So I'm just going to get in my car and uh, drive away and I'll die somewhere else. And, uh, it's not going to be your fault. And in the meeting, before I told him that, I went and hid his car keys so he could not just follow me in my car. It just ran. I said those words to him, and I ran in my car, I took the car, started driving, and I lost conscience. Uh, real quick, I think less than 10 minutes, or 10 minutes maximum, I lost conscience. So I don't know what happened. Um, um, where I drove to, I, I don't remember the driving because I lost conscience. Okay. But you ended up in an accident? I went up in an accident, yes.
This time, she took a bunch of sleeping pills and drove her car into a ditch. Due to this suicide attempt, they admitted her to a psychiatric facility. Claudia testified that she got a diagnosis from a psychiatrist, but they didn't tell her what it was, which is weird. When she returned back home, all of the firearms that had previously been in the house had been removed. Claudia had found work as an accountant after moving to Newton Falls, and she said her stay in the psychiatric hospital caused her to lose her job. She testified that she had been in the middle of an audit, but she missed the deadline due to her absence and angered an important client. According to Claudia, this was the point when she decided to get a divorce. And so after you got out of uh, St. Joseph's Hospital, did you start thinking about getting a divorce? Oh yeah, uh, he tried. He really, really tried for, let's say, a week. He was being, he was there. Uh, But somehow I wasn't anymore. And I said, no, no, it's not going to work anymore. We're going to get a divorce. So I turned into Carl, and Carl turned into Claudia. Claudia, Carl wanted to make the marriage work, and Claudia didn't want the marriage to work anymore. I wasn't, uh, I stopped pushing him away. I, I wanted a divorce, but I didn't know that I was pregnant at that time. Not only had she decided to divorce Carl, she was also moving on with another man. And uh, about February 18th of 2017, did you go back on Match.com? Yeah, uh, I figured that uh, it was not going to be easy to move back to Ohio. Uh, it was not going to be easy to move back to New York because my resume wasn't good anymore. And I figured that it would be best if I um, stayed in Ohio, that I, I tried to a new job here in Ohio, and I said, well, then I'll start dating here in Ohio. And um, I went on Match.com, and I started looking for a boyfriend. And did you meet somebody? I did. What was his name? Bruce Rogers. So you've just decided to divorce your husband, and you go right online to find a new boyfriend? before you're even divorced? Claudia said that she had eventually learned that her former employer in New York would allow her to return to work. She also still owned her condo in New York and was just renting it out, so she planned to move back to New York and broke things off with Bruce. At this time, she claims that Carl was still trying to convince her to stay and work things out. Except that he wasn't. In early March, Carl had rented a small place near his current house and had planned to move out, allowing Claudia to remain in their house. Carl's family described how his plans to divorce Claudia ensured that she wasn't left high and dry. He made sure she would be taken care of. It was also Carl who decided that it was time for a divorce, and Claudia didn't want the relationship to end. This had not been the first time Carl wanted to leave, but the other times, Claudia found a way to get him to reconsider. Carl's friend, Chris Swiegan, believed that the suicide attempts were desperate efforts to make him stay. On March 10, 2007, one of Carl's flights had a layover in North Carolina, where Rhonda, Eva, and Greg now lived, and he spent the day with them. While there, he told Rhonda that his marriage to Claudia was over, and he said, quote, I think I'm leaving when I get back. It's just not going to work out, end quote. 
In the early morning hours of March 12th, Claudia emailed a letter she had written to Carl to some of her friends. In the letter, she said, quote, You made me promises that no matter what, there would be no divorce in this relationship. I'm a good woman, Carl. Do not do me wrong, please. End quote. On March 9th, she had discovered that she was pregnant once again. She claims that that discovery made her change her mind about divorce. So I went to, my plan was to hide the pregnancy from him and, uh, and, and try to uh, make him change his mind about the divorce. So, in her own words, her plan was to hide the pregnancy from Carl and try to make him change his mind about the divorce. But I thought she was the one that wanted a divorce, and he didn't. Didn't she say that earlier? Carl wanted to make the marriage work, and Claudia didn't want the marriage to work anymore. So why would she need to convince Carl to not get a divorce? Simple. It was because the divorce was Carl's idea to begin with. She testified that if she couldn't convince Carl to stay with her, she was going to commit suicide. She testified that on March 9th, she authorized the bank to transfer $9,900 in cash that she had in a safe deposit box to her father in Brazil. Her reasoning was that if she was going to die, she didn't want Carl to get that money. The prosecutor argued that being an accountant, she knew that a transfer of $10,000 or more would require the financial institute to report the transfer to the IRS. There was actually $10,300 in the account, but she chose to keep the amount under $10,000. So, according to her, immediately after she finds out she's pregnant, she starts planning her suicide, or is she actually planning something else? The next day, she goes to purchase a gun. Um, I wanted to buy a gun to commit suicide. And you bought a 357 Magnum? I don't know what those numbers mean. I bought a gun with five bullets. I don't know what they mean. Okay. You bought a revolver with five silk, with they would hold five bullets, right? That's what I did. Okay. And then you went to the shooting range? Yes. Okay. Now, you knew about Slug Masters and the shooting range because that's places Carl had taken you? Yeah, Carl almost took me there. Okay. And so you went to the shooting range to practice with the gun? I went there to practice with a gun. Okay, now, at Slugmasters, you had them put a laser sight on the gun? Yes, I did. Why did you have them put a laser sight on the gun? Because I wanted to understand what recoil was. There was a file on the internet that I downloaded uh, with the various methods of how to commit suicide. She purchased a 357 Magnum and practiced at the shooting range. Who goes to a shooting range to practice to commit suicide? Then she had a laser sight put on the gun to commit suicide? She said that it was to understand the recoil, but if you're pointing a gun at yourself, how on earth do you see the laser pointing at your own head? None of this makes sense. She wanted to make sure she didn't miss Carl. On March 12, 2007, Carl returned home from work and Claudia testified that they discussed their relationship. She claims that she told him she was pregnant, but he didn't want her to have the baby. She claimed that after telling her over and over that he didn't want to be a father, he then told her that his daughter, Eva, who was 18 at the time, was pregnant and that he was going to adopt her baby so she could attend school. Then she claimed that he started hitting her. Nobody in Carl's life said that they had ever known him to be physically abusive to anyone, 
Once he stopped allegedly hitting her, he went into the bathroom and took a shower. She testified about what happened next. And after you left the room, what did you do? Took forever. I was, I was anxious, uh, so I was walking all over the house, up and down, up and down. And since I had, I thought about sleeping pills. I had no more sleeping pills in the house because I had taken them all uh, um, a month before, almost to the day. Um, so I found a bottle of moonshine in our kitchen something that we bought when we went to Brazil on our trip. Okay, Never okay. opened it. That day I opened it and I started drinking. And I'm, I, I'm not used to alcohol. I'm not used to alcohol and I started drinking that. And to call, try to calm myself down. She says that she started drinking moonshine because she was out of sleeping pills. This happening while she's trying to convince her husband to keep the baby that she's pregnant with. She claims that she drank the alcohol to calm her nerves because she was sure she was going to have to commit suicide. Um, so I really, uh, I said, you know what, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to put this gun to my head when he opens that door and see if I can make him realize that... Um, I'm, I'm in pain here. I'm desperate. I'm desperate. I wanted him to realize that I'm really desperate. I wanted him to take me seriously, and I want to talk more. I thought that maybe if I had more uh, chance to say more things to him, uh, if we sat and looked eye, uh, looked eye, eye to eye, uh, I would have a better chance. Uh, so all I wanted is more of his attention. When I put that gun to my head, I didn't really think at that moment I was going to pull that trigger. I, I wanted his attention. She wanted his attention. Like Chris Swigan had said before, the suicide attempts were a method of getting his attention. She continues. And so he opens the door from the bedroom and you're standing there with the gun to your head? Yes. Okay. What happens next? When he opened the door, uh... He saw that he didn't have much of a reaction. He just stared at me for a while, five, ten seconds. He didn't do a thing. He kept staring at me and I kept staring at him. And I was crying. My, my, I was crying. And he didn't have any emotions to, to his face, nothing. I couldn't read him. No emotion. All of a sudden, he, he grabbed me. He grabbed uh, uh, my wrist and my throat. And he grabbed me. And he just grabbed me. And then when he was done grabbing me, he just pushed me. He pushed me and I fell back and I hit the, the a wall or um, there was a bedroom in the middle. I hit that wall, uh, the door frame. Uh, in that area, I hit my back and my head, and there, and I just stayed there. We continued talking for a while, while I was on the floor and he was standing. He, uh, I was talking, I, talk, I said maybe three or four sentences, and he just kept shaking his head, like, no, no, I don't want to talk anymore. And then, and, and then he said that was a good idea, 
why did he wait for me, uh, why didn't I wait for him um, to leave the house and then go to the basement and shoot myself in the basement so I wouldn't get blood in his painting, in his paintings. And how'd that make you feel? I felt very angry. She claims that he had no reaction to her standing there with a gun to her head, and after pushing her down, they continued to talk. Ultimately, he tells her to go kill herself in the basement so she doesn't get blood on his paintings. Well, I thought to myself, well, that's it. There's no more talking. I'm going to kill myself. But you know what? If I'm going to die, if I'm going to die, he's going to get his wish. The child's going to die. The three of us are going to die here right now. So I just uh, when I started going down the steps. I just got up real fast and positioned myself behind him and I shot the first time. And uh, he died instantly. And he just fell. He just fell. His body just fell like this. And as he was... As he was going down, his one of, I think his right foot was still up in the air. And that's when it buckled and he lost his right shoe. Um, and his body just went boom. It just, I, you know, uh, in my head he was on the third uh, step going down. Maybe he was, he was in the middle, maybe fourth, fifth, but he was in the middle of the stairs. And since he did make that sound, uh, like, you know, if you were paying, since he didn't make that sound, didn't move anymore, uh, I, uh, I, uh, I know, I know he was, he died from the first shot. She claims that she shot him as he was going down the stairs and that he died instantly. The first shot was to his back, which made him fall down the stairs. And she says that when he hit the ground, he made no sound and wasn't moving anymore. So she knew he was dead. Except he could have just been knocked out. Also, if she was so sure that he was dead, why do this? Um, I want to say that I went down and shot him. Um, uh, sh shot, shot more. I don't know. Uh, I, I, I didn't know if I hit him or not. But in my head, I shot three times. And I hit him three times. Saving two bullets for myself. I didn't realize that I had shot five times, but I know for sure uh, in my head that I shot and hit him three times. So you're walking down the steps and you shot him? The more. first one I was on top of the stairs. Okay. And, he, and he died from this one, I know for sure. But uh, in picking through my brain, I, I kind of see myself going down uh, those steps and get to the bottom and I believe the, the shot number two and three I was next to him down downstairs. Did you check to see if he was still alive? I did. I checked his breathing. She shot him two more times. Once more in the back and once point blank to the back of the head. Then she checked to make sure he was dead. You know, even though she was positive that the first shot definitely killed him. Then she claims that she tried to shoot herself, but the gun was empty. She hadn't realized that she actually pulled the trigger five times, emptying the revolver. She then decided that she didn't want to kill herself without saying goodbye to her family, and when she called her sister, she put her husband, a pastor, on the phone to talk her out of it. 
she began having fears about going to hell and decided not to kill herself. I talk about this in my first ever podcast episode about Timothy Jones Jr., but I find it fascinating that people believe that committing suicide will send them to hell, but murder still gets them a VIP pass into the pearly gates. It wasn't until March 15th that anyone knew that something was wrong. Carl was scheduled for reserve duty, but never showed up for his flight. His friends and colleagues said that he had never missed a flight before to their knowledge, and it's understandable because missing a flight was a pretty big deal. Carl's friend, Gary Dodge, tried to call him but got no answer, and after an hour or so, he called the police for a welfare check and met Officer Ronald Lane on site. There was no answer at the door, so they gained entry into the home. That's where they found the body of Carl Herrig lying at the bottom of the stairs, covered in a plastic sheet. Um, Detective Inucci and I, or now Sergeant Inucci, uh, we were greeted by Officers Lane Laswell and Chief Carlson at the house. Uh, Newton, correct, Newton Falls Police Officers. You know, they explained to us that uh, they had been sent there to, on a check the welfare to buy one of Mr. Carl Horwig's co-workers at the Air Reserve Station. He had not shown up for his scheduled fly time. Um, the Newton Falls officers went there, couldn't make entry, but his car was there, so they contacted a family member through that contact at the Air Reserve Station who came to the house and asked them to force entry to check on Carl. Um, Officer Lane indicated, expressed to us that they went in through a sliding glass door in the back of the house where he found Carl's remains on the floor in the living room. All right. And from that point, Newton Falls Police had secured the residence uh, to prevent any Correct. No one else had been in the house until we got there. Okay. Claudia was nowhere to be found. Once the medical examiner arrived, the detectives documented the condition of the body and collected the evidence. It was discovered that there were holes in the floor. So once you determined that there were some holes in the uh, floor in there, were you able to get some perspective and, and maybe get some angles or try to see uh, projected paths that may have occurred? Yes. And how did you do that? Um, we went to the basement, and you'll see a picture of that eventually, but we went to the basement. We've seen that the bullets went through the plywood. Actually, one of them went through or into a floor joist, um, another actually into a hot water tank. Now, using a fiberglass rod or something straight, you put, you know, a bullet's going to travel straight until it comes into contact with something that's going to change its trajectory. So putting a, a rod into the hole and using a string at the end of it in a, a straight line, we can get a very close idea of where that round came from, the, okay. the directionality, I guess you'd say. Might not be perfect, but it gives us it's a pretty good pretty idea. Close, correct. Okay. So now I'm going to show you what's been marked as purpose of identification, States Exhibit 40. And if you see, I know it's kind of faint there, we see actually uh, someone's legs at the top of the stairs and a very uh, narrow string going to that location. Is that right. what you were just referring to? Using a tight string with, and using the rod to give us the point back the direction that we believe, we can simulate using the string the, the direction we believe it came from. You know, we've covered the blood and just so that you, you're not really seeing that, but you can see where the string goes to. Okay. 
Claudia had claimed that she shot Carl while he was going down the stairs, but the evidence showed that Carl would have been at the bottom of the stairs and Claudia shot him from the top of the stairs. Something that would have made that laser sight pretty handy, huh? That first shot made him fall forward, and then she shot him two more times while he was on the floor. In searching the house, they also found the gun that was used to kill Carl in an upstairs bedroom closet. And State's Exhibit 58. What we found inside the closet was this 2x4 screwed to the wall with a hole board in it. And you, as you can see, there's a muzzle of a revolver sticking through it. And State's Exhibit 59. This revolver, which was later determined to have actually been used to, to kill Carl, um, was what we found. And you, if you pay attention, the hammer is actually back and the, the, the gun was fully loaded. All right. Claudia claimed that she built this contraption as a means of committing suicide. She said she was so afraid of the recoil causing her to miss and become catastrophically injured that she built a device to control the recoil while she shot herself. But for whatever reason she built it, if it was for suicide or not, she didn't use it. The investigation quickly began focusing on Claudia as the prime suspect calls to her cell phone went unanswered. They eventually learned that she had fled the country. Were you able to determine at any point that Claudia Harris had left the United States? Yes. <clears throat> we tracked her cell phone where it was <clears throat> basically they, the term that they use. It's, it was triangulating off the towers. We determined that she was in the Pittsburgh area. That, then we, did, we discovered through uh, that she had used the her, Carl's employee privilege to fly from Pittsburgh to New York and then then ultimately flew from New York to Sao Paulo. And Sao Paulo is in Brazil, yes. And that led you to make a phone call with a Portuguese interpreter to try and contact people in Brazil. Right, from, yes. That ended up being fruitless. Fruitless. She killed her husband and then used his employee flight privileges to flee the area. That's cold. She had driven to the Pittsburgh airport and got a free flight to New York. There, she bought a ticket to Sao Paulo, Brazil. She would remain in Brazil for the next 11 years. And from the time you got to the scene on March 15, 2007, to you left the sheriff's department in what? October of 2008. Did you ever hear from Claudia Harris? No. And you cannot identify Claudia Harris because you didn't speak to her properly. Never spoke with her, never seen her in person. During Claudia's testimony, she claimed that she went to Brazil so she could hug her father, but was still planning to kill herself. She said she rented a hotel room on the top floor of a 19-story building and was planning to jump to her death, but didn't want to hurt anyone walking by, so she didn't. Then she claimed she tried three other times at a different hotel, but something came up each time. Then she was going to route car exhaust into the so-called shack she lived in, but the car was too loud and notified the neighbors. It went on and on, and somehow, being determined to kill herself turned into getting married and moving on with her life. On April 12, 2007, Claudia Herrig was charged with aggravated murder. Brazil was unwilling to extradite Claudia back to the U.S. After all, it's written in their constitution, no Brazilian-born citizen can be extradited, even if the person is a wanted criminal in another country. 
something that Claudia was aware of. After more than 500 emails to the State Department, the Justice Department, and two presidential administrations, Trumbull County Prosecutor Dennis Watkins was not getting much help. Eventually, Brazil offered to let him try the case in Brazil, but he turned down the offer. The crime was committed in Trumbull County, the witnesses were there, and she needed to be tried there. After six years of struggling to find a way to bring a murderer to justice, Watkins learned that when Claudia became a naturalized citizen in New York in 1999, she pledged under oath, quote, I renounce all allegiance to any foreign state or sovereignty of which I have been a citizen, end quote. She even signed a document referring to, quote, country of former nationality, Brazil, end quote. Renouncing her Brazilian citizenship in the United States actually changed her status under Brazilian law, and the Brazilian government agreed. They officially stripped her of her citizenship and agreed to extradite her back to the United States. It was a groundbreaking case, as it was the first time in the history that the country was extraditing a person born in Brazil to another country. But they said she chose to become an American citizen, she lost her Brazilian nationality. This wasn't an instant win, as Claudia fought the ruling for three more years. While this was happening, she was able to live her life of freedom in Brazil. Once the case got to the Supreme Court of Brazil and they upheld the ruling, Claudia was arrested and put in prison in Brazil. While in prison, she was still begging to keep her citizenship, but the Brazilian government was making a deal with Watkins. Claudia was not to be executed, nor was she to be sentenced to more than 30 years in prison, with her time in prison in Brazil to count towards time served. In 2017, the Brazilian president ordered that Claudia be sent back to the United States. After nearly 11 years, Claudia Herrig was put on trial for the murder of Carl Herrig. She admitted to shooting and killing Carl. Her defense was only there to argue that the murder wasn't premeditated. Her intention was always to commit suicide, but that she shot Carl in a last-minute fit of rage. We heard her testimony while she was being questioned by her defense lawyer. She explained how Carl pressured her into marrying him, how he was controlling and abusive, how he made her pay for everything, and how she had to be a subservient wife. Most importantly, she got to explain how he had pushed her down and told her to kill herself in the basement where she wouldn't get blood on the paintings. Because of actions you took on March 12, 2007, you would agree that Carl Herrick cannot come in this courtroom and tell his version of events, correct? Neither can my three children that he killed. I'm asking you whether Carl Herrick, please try and listen to the question. Can Carl Herrick come in and tell his side of the story? It's an easy question, yes or no? Yes, he can. He can? Yes. Where is he going to come from? If you tell the truth to this court, he can, because I have a recording of every day of my life for two years, and this court knows, and Dennis Watkins know, and you know that my whole life was recorded with voice recording, and it's not in here, it was not brought in as evidence. Why are you lying to this court, to this journal, and, and to Brazil, and to me, to my face? Right. Could you bring my computer here and play the whole tape for these people to hear the whole truth? You have two lawyers that are appointed for you to do I don't that. know what they did. I know what you did. All right. And 
let's, let's go this route. You'd agree that Carl Herrick can't come in here and sit on that witness stand and tell his side of the story, correct? Uh, his voice can. He can answer questions? No. No, thank you. I hate to give advice to criminals, but testifying in your own defense when you're guilty is never a good idea. She got to be all calm and sympathetic when she was being questioned by her lawyer, but suddenly, when the prosecution starts to question her, she's not so sympathetic. Her first answer is to say that her three children were killed by Carl. There were those two miscarriages that allegedly Carl caused, but what about the third? We never hear anything about what happened to her third pregnancy anywhere. This is the only time it's ever brought up, and I can only assume she's insinuating that she had another miscarriage and that it was also somehow caused by Carl, even though he was dead. To be fair, there was never any evidence anywhere that showed she had even been pregnant, let alone had miscarriages, and some people believe that they were just lies to keep Carl from leaving her. Claudia did an interview with a reporter while in prison in Brazil, and she claimed that Carl forced her to have abortions. Of course, as we see, her story changed to miscarriages on trial in the U.S. It's also important to point out that Carl's first wife, Rhonda, said in interviews that she never experienced anything like what Claudia described from Carl. She said he was never anything but a loving, caring father and husband. Then Claudia starts with the conspiracy against her. She claims that she has recordings of her entire life with Carl that the court is not allowing into evidence. Allegedly, those recordings would prove everything she has said about Carl. And you agree, at this point, that Carl Herrick cannot come in here and explain any of these situations that you testified to, correct? Yes, he can through the voice of no, the No, he can't. He can get on this witness stand. Don't testify. Well, can Carl Herrick come in this courtroom and testify? No. Okay, thank you. Can Carl Herrick come in this courtroom and dispute or admit or deny anything you said to this detective or to this court yesterday? Mm, no. When her lawyer gets a chance to question her on redirect, he brings up those recordings. In response to the state's question, um, you started talking about recordings that were on your computer, correct? Correct. Um, did you make uh, recordings of your daily life? Yes, I did. And how did you make those? I carry um, a tape recorder on my waist okay. four hours a day. And where did you save those recordings? On my computer, my PC that's in Trumbull County Jail. Okay. And why did you make those recordings? Because I have OCD and I had a very bad first marriage with Thomas Bolte and he put me through hell made me think that things that he said he didn't say so I developed the habit of recording myself okay. to see if I was crazy or not because he always denied the things that he said okay. so I developed a syndrome like um, mania what's the word um, I became obsessed with recording things to make sure I wasn't crazy okay and that's it he doesn't say anything else about these so-called recordings. So, her defense lawyer is aware that there are audio recordings on her computer, a computer that is supposedly in evidence in Trumbull County, 
and that these recordings could potentially help her case, but he hasn't made any attempt to recover these recordings? There's no mention that there was any attempt to gain access to these recordings. There's no mention of the computer not being found in evidence. Her lawyer puts her on the stand and has her confirm that there are recordings that would prove she's telling the truth, but that he has never used in court. Is he trying to advertise that he's a terrible lawyer? I understand that evidence suppression happens. There are too many wrongful convictions due to evidence suppression and prosecutorial misconduct. But it's weird that the defense lawyer is having her confirm that this evidence is out there that would help her with no explanation as to why he's not using that evidence. It's possible that the recordings were deemed inadmissible for some reason, but then any mention of the recordings would have been barred at trial. Ohio is a one-party consent state for recordings, so it would have been legal to record Carl without his knowledge. The existence of these recordings is very suspect in my mind. During the prosecutor's questioning, the conspiracy theory came up again. After you walk ten steps down that to where his body was, that you claim was dead, you could have done 12 to 24 inches from him, and then when you came back in January of last year, you told this detective you know you're going to be convicted. Is that correct? Yeah, because it's yeah, not yes, a fair court. Yes. Yes. And you told me. No Brazilians here. You see no Brazilians here, so of course I'm going to be. Am I asking you about Brazilians? I'm sorry? Did I ask you about any Brazilians? No. She believes that the court is not fair because she's not being tried in Brazil. In Brazil, she believes she would have gotten a fair trial, meaning they would have not punished her. You became an American citizen and committed a murder on American soil. Why on earth would you be tried in Brazil? During her testimony, she claimed that she lived some sort of horrible life in Brazil. Roughly almost 11 years you were gone, correct? Yes. During that time you were gone, you got to see your family, correct? Yes? No. You never saw your family when you were gone? Uh, briefly. Well, I thought you told this jury yesterday you had a conversation with your father and he told you you loved you and you were in such tears yesterday because of those words. You never saw him again after that? Uh, only one more time after that. What about your sister with lupus? No. Never saw her? I saw her only that month and I didn't see her anymore after that. You got married. You saw your husband for 11 years, correct? Yes. All right. Um, you got married, right? Yes. You built a house, right? No. You, you did, I thought you built a house. Right? No, I built a shack. Okay, then you built a house. No, I have no house. So you lived in that shack the whole time? Yes. Okay. You worked somewhere? Yes. All right. You lived your life with your husband for almost 11 years in Brazil, correct? No. Close to 11 years. I didn't live my life. You didn't live your life? No. You didn't have a, a marriage? You didn't have a... a no. I had a nightmare. Okay. You got to celebrate holidays, Christmas, no, and birthdays? You didn't do any of that? No. Okay. I worked 365 days a year. Okay. She supposedly lived a nightmare, but the news show, 48 Hours, took Carl's brother, Paul, down to Brazil and went looking for answers. They found that Claudia had a husband owned her own accounting business, and lived in a middle-class neighborhood. 
They had also learned that Claudia was being housed in a cell by herself because authorities believed that she was so desperate to not return to the U.S. that she might murder another inmate to stay in prison in Brazil. Brazilian sentences are much lighter than in the U.S., and even convicted murderers are allowed to leave the prison during the day to have jobs after serving just five years of their sentence. In January of 2019, Claudia Herrig was found guilty of aggravated murder with an added gun specification. She was sentenced to 25 years to life in prison, plus an additional three years for the gun specification, the maximum sentence allowed in the extradition deal with Brazil. She appealed her conviction, which was denied. Taking into account time served, she will be about 80 years old when she's eligible for parole. One of Carl's friends and fellow pilot John Bochairi said that the last time he flew with Carl, he had told him, quote, When I take my last flight into the setting sun and I look back over my shoulder, I hope the people who knew me were happy that they did, end quote. If you're having feelings of harming yourself or someone else or even just need someone to talk to, please contact your local mental health facility. Call 911 or call Mental Health America, which runs the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline, at 1-800-273-TALK. That's 1-800-273-8255. They're available 24 hours a day, 7 days a week. Be safe. Thanks so much for watching this video. If you enjoyed it, give us a thumbs up, leave us a comment, and make sure to hit the subscribe button to ensure you don't miss a video. Also, remember that if you'd like to support the show, you can find information on how to do that in the video's info or at thisismonsters.com forward slash support. Thanks again. You're hanging out with some friends and putting back a few drinks. A few becomes a few too many. As the evening comes to an end and people start to head out, you think of calling for a ride. Nah, you live nearby. You can make it home okay. It's no big deal. What are the odds you'll get pulled over anyway? And even so, what's the worst that could happen? Your insurance goes up? You lose your license? You lose your job? You total your car? You kill someone? Everyone knows about the risks of driving drunk. The results are tragic and often deadly. However, that still doesn't stop everyone from getting behind the wheel while under the influence. That's why police officers are out there right now looking for impaired drivers on our roads to save lives. So... If you think you're okay to drive after a few drinks, think again. Play it safe and plan ahead to get a ride. It only takes one mistake to change your life or someone else's forever. Drive sober or get pulled over. No. Good boy. Keep your hat on, pet. Why? We're playing dinner at the North Pole, remember? So we need to wear our big warm coats inside. When it comes to food or heat, many families will face impossible choices this Christmas. Please support the St. Vincent de Paul Annual Appeal. Donate locally or at svp.ie. Thank you. Christmas is the season of giving, but it can be difficult to know who on your list wants what. Save yourself the guesswork by giving the gift of choice. Whether you're buying for the foodie, fashionista or homebird of the family, they'll love a Dunn Stores gift card. They can choose from everything we have in store and online, from fashion to homewares to groceries. It's the perfect choice to make this Christmas. Visit dunstores.com for details. Make Christmas for everyone. Terms and conditions apply. Life's full of things we can't depend on, like the Irish weather, predictably unpredictable. When you're cutting it fine, but the tractor in front is out for the day. No winner of this week's you-know-what. 
so much for Lucky 7. But some things you can depend on. Like in home heating. Emo, Jones Oil and Campus Oil are now Certa, Delivering the same warmth to your home now and into the future. For home heating you can depend on. See CertaIreland.ie.